Lord Jesus, you are present everywhere that we can be, and your power is what makes all things possible. And Lord, I pray that you would use what you say to us out of the Bible to help us rest in that power and know that you are in control of all of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just before I preach, uh, November 9th, last week, marked the third anniversary of the congregational meeting where you all voted to accept me as your senior pastor. And every year I just want to take at least this chance to say that I, that is one of the best things that ever happened to me in my whole life. I love being here. I love you. You are a great church. And uh, I never take it for granted that you took a chance on a green kid from California with no experience. You probably ought to shouldn't have done that, but you did. And I'm very grateful for it. Back before you took that chance, when I was doing college ministry, I took a group of students camping one weekend, and my wife came along with me, and I had picked a very difficult hike. It was about 10 miles long and almost straight up, which for me is the closest thing to heaven there is. My wife, however, who gave me permission to tell this story, was having a different experience. She was hot, she was tired. She wasn't having any fun, and she was sharing her feelings with me about that. (laughs) In fact, that day, she and I had some very interesting conversations about courtesy, planning ahead, and how I was raised. (laughs) Finally, one of the students wanted to help her out, and so he said, here, let me take some of the heavy stuff out of your pack. It'll make it easier for you to hike. But when he opened up her pack, his face fell because there wasn't anything heavy in it like some toothpaste, Kleenex, chapstick. That was about it. But he wanted to be polite, and so he said, oh, I guess the problem is that there's just so many little things to carry. I wonder if my wife's experience of that hike has been a little bit of what some of you have experienced as we've gone through this sermon series on the kingdom of God, where we've been talking about how we make up there come down here in me, my church, and my world. And we've heard from people like Tracy Stone, who started a non-profit organization to help Rwanda. And we've talked about how Jesus invites us to invest some of our time and our talent and our treasure into building his kingdom to build, so that we can bring reconciliation, restoration, and rejoicing into our world. And for many of you, that probably sounds like an exciting adventure, which it is. The God of the universe invites us to partner with him in reclaiming this world. That is cool. But at the same time, you may also think, whoa, whoa, build the kingdom of God. That sounds hard. And when am I going to have time to do that? I mean, I guess I could start a nonprofit between the kids' soccer game and dinner, but... And so just like that hike I told you about, this thing that was meant to be an exciting adventure becomes a burden. I know that's how it works with me sometimes. Whenever I think of doing something for God, I immediately think it has to be something huge, you know, convert all of Botswana or something like that. And then I sort of think about it, and I get kind of tired just thinking about it, and so I decide, well, let's watch TV instead. I think that's part of the culture we live in here on the east side. Here on the east side, it's do, 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 achieve, achieve, do big, big things, and succeed in big ways. That's the east side community we live in. 
culture we live in. And some of that's good. Some of that's just how God made us. And sometimes it, God does call us to do big, big things for him. But some of that can be destructive too. Because we can get so results driven that we neglect relationships with friends and family, even God. And we get burned out and, and exhausted and maybe even burdened. But what if building the kingdom of God isn't just about doing the big things, though those are important too? What if, as my students said to Christina, it's also just so many little things that build God's kingdom? Well, I've gotten good news for all of us overworked, overachieving Bellevueans, Redmontonians, and Issaquaters. <laughs> well, what else would it be, right? It's a I don't know. Often the most effective things we can do to build God's kingdom are the small things. In one of the stories we read, Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, if you have faith the size even of a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, be uprooted and plant it in the sea. In another place, he says, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. Now, as an overworked, overachieving Belvusian, this phrase kind of sometimes makes me feel inadequate because... You know, I can't even say to my children, come to daddy and have them budge, let alone say to Mount Rainier, go to the Puget Sound. So I start to think, man, my faith must be really small. I must be a bad Christian, as if there were any other kind. I am to Christian what Peugeot is to cars, small, flimsy, and I break down all the time. (laughs) No one here owns a Peugeot, right? I figured I was safe with that one. I think it is a testimony to my weirdness that I do this. I take what Jesus meant to be a good news phrase and I turn it into a bad news phrase. I don't think Jesus means this to say that if you can't move mountains, it's because you don't have enough faith. That just turns faith into some kind of works-oriented, performance-driven deal. Faith is this thing I wump up to make God happy so he does cool things. That is not what the Bible says. I think what Jesus is saying is that God magnifies even our smallest acts of obedience, faithfulness, and service and turns them into big things for him. It's a proportional thing. Mustard seed is a small seed, but it produces a big plant. When we have even the tiniest bit of faith, what Jesus is saying is when we do even the smallest act of service for God, it yields a lot more than we put into it. Most of you have heard all this jubilee year me preaching this theme of turn outward through acts of service that show our community the real Jesus. And almost all of you have done that in one way or another. That is what is so great about you guys as a congregation. But along the way, some of you may have wondered, gosh, am I doing enough? Maybe I should do more. Maybe I should do something really big, you know, huge, like go to Africa for Jesus or start casting the demons out of my boss because someone ought to get around to it someday, right? Folks in the office would be glad about that. What this parable tells me is that whatever it is you're doing, whether it's big or whether it's small, God will use it, multiply it, and build his kingdom with it. One of our elders, Deneen Blake, tells a story about when she was in junior high, she wasn't much of a churchgoer. She was more of an agnostic. And she ended up getting in a fist fight at school with a girl from our church. Well, a little while later, that same girl was in our junior high youth group here, and the pastor was talking about forgiving your enemies, and he said, you know, go find someone you're mad at 
and then do something nice for that person. So this girl that was part of our church grudgingly decided to invite Deneen to our youth choir here at church. But the only reason she decided to do that was because she figured Deneen wouldn't want to come because she was an agnostic. But being in junior high, she told everyone what she was going to do, and that eventually got back to Deneen. So when she invited Deneen to come, Deneen said yes, because she knew it would really bug her if she said yes. (laughs) And she really wanted to get on this girl's nerves. And that's how Deneen became a Christian. (laughs) And an elder in our church. God can use anything, right? I mean, that's just a weird story. I've heard of friendship evangelism, but fistfights for Jesus, not so much. Not seeker-friendly. That is the mustard seed principle, a half-hearted, unenthusiastic act of obedience, and God magnifies it and uses it to build his kingdom. Not only in Deneen, but think of what it must have done for that girl. God took what she did and amplified it, and it yielded way more than she put into it. You see, God is the microphone of our faith. God is the loudspeaker of our acts of service. God is the PowerPoint projector of our service to him and our obedience. We give him a little, he makes it bigger. Now, that raises a question. If all of that's true, well then, does that mean I don't really have to try very hard to get to know God or to serve him? Can we all just sort of sit around in our blessed assurance and let the kingdom come? No, because that would mean missing out on the adventure God has in store for us. In the other story we read, Jesus talks about a farmer who plants some seed. And in that story, the farmer does three things. He plants the seed, he watches as it grows, and then he harvests the crop. In other words, even though God takes our acts of service and multiplies them and and, and makes them bigger than we gave, we still have a part to play. We're not benched. We're not passive observers. We get to be in the game. We have to do the small act of service. That's like planting the seed. We have to be ready when it grows. We have to be there if, if, it, if there's a harvest. But what we don't have to do is think that we have to do something huge for God all the time or worry that our efforts aren't enough or think that it's all up to us. We plant the seed, but it's up to the Holy Spirit to make it grow, just like in nature. The farmer doesn't make the seed grow. Nature does. He just has to plant it. So, for instance, let's say you decide you want to talk about your faith with a coworker. A lot of us don't want to do that. We, we're afraid that other person's going to think we're weird or ask a question we can't answer. Like, so what do you think of Kierkegaard's theories on the teleological suspension of the ethical? Do you agree? Why, yes, I do. I think yeah. Say yes if you're asked that question. And we're worried that we're not going to know what to say. We don't have to know what to say. As I've said before, all we have to do is ask questions and tell stories. Hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life lately? Do you like your job? Does it seem significant to you? If not, why not? You would be surprised how quickly simple, courteous questions can lead to God if our eyes are open. If someone's going through a tough time, offer to pray for them. Or tell a story about a time that God's helped you. Ask questions, tell stories, and then pray and let the Holy Spirit work. What we don't have to do is get all anxious, get all worried that we did it in the right way or or that we're doing enough. You hear me, Eastsiders? We don't have to get all worried and anxious that we're not doing it right. The farmer in this story doesn't stay up at night biting his, his nails, wondering if he cast the seed in the right place. 
He doesn't go out the next morning and dig the seed up to see if it's sprouted yet. Right? So if you talk about Jesus with someone, don't, don't worry, gosh, did I say the right things? Did I get it wrong? You know, don't go back an hour later and say, so are you ready to be baptized now? Because I am. We do our part, and God does his, over time. Seeds don't grow overnight. The same works for just little acts of service. I told you a couple weeks ago about a woman named Margie who, without me ever asking her to, decided to go buy a bandage for me when I had a burn. And that simple act of service got me involved in a process that lasted nine months of me asking questions and searching what made her so different that ended up with me becoming a Christian and eventually a pastor. That's it. One ten-minute trip to the drugstore from a woman whose last name I don't even remember and poof, I'm a pastor. That's the mustard seed principle. A little act of service can have big results. And even if it doesn't, right? Even if you buy the bandage for your coworker when they get a paper cut and they don't become a pastor, you haven't failed. All God asked was that you plant the seed. And you did. And not every seed that's cast grows. But sow enough of them and eventually one will. The point here is, it's not about us. Fancy that. It's about God and what God can do through us. And that is so liberating. That is so freeing. This invitation to participate in building God's kingdom was never meant to make us feel guilty or anxious or overworked. Jesus doesn't say the kingdom of God is like a calculus exam. Better get worried. He says it's like a mustard seed. A little yields a lot, in part because he himself has already done the hard work for us. Died on a cross to reconcile us to God, rose from the grave to conquer death. He's done the hard part. And now we can go on an adventure with God to participate with him in what he's doing in the world. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It starts small and then it grows. And Jesus himself is the absolute best example of this. Born in a barn to peasant teenagers had minimal education, commanded no army, held no office, died a criminal's death, and yet no one changed the world more than this one man. Christianity had the smallest of beginnings from the seemingly smallest of people, and yet it grew to be the world's largest religion, brought down the Roman Empire, introduced the concept of the individual, and made mercy and forgiveness, ethics to be followed, things that had never existed before Jesus. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Starts small, and then it grows. I have a friend who grew up in Zimbabwe, and she lives here now, and she has a very good friend of hers who also grew up in Zimbabwe. In fact, they grew up just a few blocks from each other, but they never knew each other then because he was, she was white and wealthy, and he was black and had no parents and was living on the streets and hated God because of it. He also hated white people. He viewed them as the foreign colonial power that was making his life miserable. And, and, and if he'd have run into my friend back then, he'd have killed her. But today, they're very good friends. Well, in his teens, this man became a gang leader and decided that his life should be about killing as many white people as he could. And one night, he and his gang were going to go bomb a bank. But on their way, they passed a revival meeting that was going on. And they decided that that would be better, and they decided to, to bomb that instead. So they decided that in two minutes they would throw their bombs into the tent where the revival meeting was. But first, they decided to go inside the tent and look at the faces of the people they were about to kill. 
He now says that he gave God two minutes, and it was two minutes too much. Because he heard a little bit of the sermon. And the preacher was saying at that moment that Jesus used a borrowed room, a borrowed cross, and a borrowed tomb to save us. Jesus is love on a cross. And that line captured him. And then the kind of thing that seems to only happen in revival meetings happened. He went down, received Christ, never set the bombs off. Next day he went and turned himself in because he felt like that was what God was asking him to do. Told the whole story to the sheriff. And amazingly, the sheriff said at the end of it, you know what, if your Jesus can forgive you, well then so can I. All this got into the newspaper and another missionary read about it, found this guy who was living on the streets and helped him get started as a preacher And now this man goes all over the world and preaches to bunches and bunches of people. Because you can do that if you have a story like that. That'll preach, as we say in the preaching business. 30 years later, 30 years later, this man was preaching at a revival meeting. And he told the story of how he'd become a Christian. And he happened to mention the date, April 15, 1962. Well, after the service, two elderly women came up to him and opened up their Bible where they kept a record of all the prayers they prayed. And in their Bible was a note from April 14, 1962, where they had prayed that God would save one gang member at the revival meeting that was going to happen the next night. The same meeting he went to bomb, but ended up becoming a Christian. Mustard seed. Only two women... Only one prayer. Very small. And they never knew the impact it had for 30 years. But it had a huge impact. Think of the countless lives this one man has affected through his ministry. It is a huge door, but it swings on a tiny hinge of two women and one prayer. A little bit can yield a lot. After my friend told me this story, she said, you know what? I am never going to feel bad about a prayer meeting where only two people show up again. (laughs) No kidding. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Your act of service may never get thousands out of poverty, launch a church, or turn a gang member into a preacher, but it will still be significant. Maybe it's just listening to a coworker, making dinner for a neighbor, praying with someone who's in need. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be flashy. It can be part of your ordinary, regular, everyday life. But to God, it will be significant. And he will take it, multiply it, and use it to build his kingdom for your good and his glory. And along the way, every once in a while, he will give us glimpses of the ways that he's using us. The kingdom of God is about reconciliation, restoration, and rejoicing. Not about burden, guilt, and getting burned out. After all, it was established by Jesus himself. Jesus who says to us, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light, and you will find rest. Rest unto your souls. Lord Jesus, when you ask us to do the big things, As you sometimes do, we pray that we would do that knowing that the ultimate outcome is up to you. And Lord, then when you ask us to do the small things, we ask that we would do them in the same attitude and with the same faith. And Lord, in all of this, we want to give you the glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.